Cards, your ultimate destinations for all things tabletop in Riverton, Utah. Uniting enthusiasts under one roof, we proudly showcase Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Magic, Weiss, and One Piece, a gateway into an exhilarating universe of gaming. Immerse yourselves in our diverse products, including a very squishy array of Japanese plushies and the excitement of Gashapon machines. Our expansive play area invites you to duel in epic battles and forge unbreakable bonds with your fellow players. We open our doors every day at noon, embracing a realm where cards come alive and unforgettable moments are afforded. Come join us at Kayfabe Cards. Welcome, everybody, to episode number 100 of the Instant Speed Podcast. And we're going to do something a little bit different today. There's no guest um, because... I wanted to answer some of the questions, I suppose, that I get from you, the community. And the first thing I want to dive into is just saying thank you, I suppose, for um, this journey that I've been on because I've been in this world of card gaming for over, I'd say, I mean, I say 25 years and it sounds like a lot, but in reality, that's the truth. It has been 25 years. Um, I think the first time I ever really picked up a card game and played it, I was 12, 13 years old, maybe, and I'm going to be 38 in January. So it has been that long. Now, there have been, you know, little pauses and breaks here and there in terms of where I was at playing games. But the first card game I ever played, uh, I believe, was Star Wars CCG. And what a game to actually get into from the get-go, because it was ages ago, um, it, it still is, I would say, probably more complicated than some of the more uh, intricate and layered Magic the Gathering metas that have existed and decks. I mean, playing Star Wars was uh, quite an experience, but that hooked me into card gaming. The strategy, the collectability, the characters, the IPs surrounding it. I mean, it, it's, it's hard not to get drawn into it, and that's why you're listening to this, because you too are a card game fan and one of the things that i've really hoped to do was carve a path within this industry originally as a player as a competitor but i'm not good enough for that and i understand that i think i'm a good player but this is i think where i'm meant to be is with a microphone and a voice and i guess a flair for entertainment now that again is a very subjective thing you might like me you might not like me but ultimately that's none of my business um i do what i do because i love it and i enjoy it and the fact that i can bring some of that joy and some of that passion to you is a big deal for me so um this whole journey kind of began when i moved to toronto in 2015 and i i had no friends here i mean i had a couple friends here i had like one or two friends here but they have their own lives they have their own um, you know, they're, everything going on in their own thing. And it's hard to just kind of weasel your way into somebody's life and, and you know, force them to kind of adopt you. Uh, so I figured, you know what, I'm working a lot. And card gaming was one of the familiar things that I can not just busy myself in, but kind of commit my, my, um, my free time to that I felt was productive. And it got to a point where... I would play these games into the evenings, wake up, go to work, you know, try to uh, blaze my lowly path within the corporate <laughs> corporate world, which actually worked out well. This is one thing that a lot of people don't necessarily know about me is that I had a pretty decently successful career 
within like corporate corporate aviation, as it were. Um, I worked in communications management. I had a pretty solid career. I was getting paid very well. I had excellent benefits. My my sort of career path was such that if I had stayed there, I probably would have been making a lot a lot of money. I would have had a nice title and a lot of cool benefits. But it wasn't it wasn't what I wanted to do. I woke up every day just unhappy. I woke up every day feeling stressed, feeling like I was being robbed of my time, robbed of my joy. Um, so I made a, I made a play. I mean, I, I rolled the dice. I say I rolled the dice. Like there's a certain point of it that it's like much like, it's like getting into a game with a sideboard. You know, I didn't just walk in not knowing what I was getting into and saying, let's just roll the dice here. I, I practiced, I put the right cards in from the sideboard and I made a, a, a solid play at this thing called uh, broadcasting. And at a, at a certain point, there was a lot of people who had said, hey, you know what, like Twitch and streaming. If you're going to be playing card games, that's a good way to express your personality at the very least. And at le- and maybe just have somebody to talk to, have somebody that you can bounce ideas off of and have a, a you know company while you're playing these games. Since you're just basically at home or locked away in your apartment in most evenings playing these games anyways. So for years and years, years and years and years. I say that. I mean, it, it, it sounds like eons, but it was like two or three years I would do this uh, until, uh, you know, like coming home, getting home at like 6 p.m., eating, and then from like 6.30, 7 o'clock all the way till about 10 p.m., I would stream every single day. And on the weekends, about four or five hours on each on Saturday and Sunday each. So I was that was my whole life. I was really pumping in 20 to 30 hours a week into streaming. And it wasn't until I had put in gosh, two, three, four thousand hours of streaming before I finally got a paid opportunity, which sounds like a nightmare, but it's it's when you want something, that's what you do. And once I had all those ducks in a row and I got offered a contract to do this, it was with Gwent and CDPR offered me, uh, basically said, hey, this this coming year, which I think was 2019, they said, we want you for all of the, our events for 2019, which at the time, in Gwent's heyday was a lot of events. Like it was a lot of events. There was uh, Gwent Opens. There was like six or seven Gwent Opens. There was like three or four Challengers, which are bigger events. And then there was like the World Championship. It was like they want you. They wanted you on the hook for like ten events or something. Um, so that is unreal. And the pay was exceptional. So I was like, finally, we can get this done. So I I left my work and here I am. And a lot of that has that that journey, that path has essentially brought me to where I am today, which is with this podcast, with you listening, with me broadcasting card games and having a career in this space. And and I think that that's amazing. And I'm so grateful to you for not just the support that you give me, but but for everything that that's just the positivity and such. And I know that I myself am not always the most positive, but I try to be. And nobody's perfect, but we do our best. So this 100th episode is more of just a reflection. And I wanted to give opportunities to people to submit questions that we can listen to. And here we are. So let's just get to it. Let's get to the first question. And I have not listened to any of these. I have, how many do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got about 11 entries here of video questions. So we'll go through them. And let's see what we got so let's start with let's start with this one i just i just saw the caption for it 
No, you need like Shut up. As, as promised for episode 100 of the Is This Me podcast, I promised I would get my friends from LSS. This is Nishin Zeng, who is just married and has a question for Flake. What would you like to ask Flake in celebration of his 100th episode? Who's your favorite Alice's employee? Yeah, we already know the answer to that. But you can feel free to answer, Blake. And uh, congratulations to me, so I think it's not to us. Thanks, Rob. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so that was a good one. That is from... <laughs> This <laughs> is from Brian Gottlieb. Um, and again, congratulations on the on the wedding, too. That's awesome. Uh, I didn't even know that Brian was out there. Just uh, the speech that Brian would have given would have been amazing. And uh, <laughs> I just picture every time I, I hear that, I, I just picture like that, that famous now much memed uh, Bannon and restricted announcement that just starts with "We made a mistake," and I just picture, <laughs> just picture Brian giving a speech at the wedding saying "We made a mistake," and that's how it starts. But that's the one. So, what is who is my favorite LSS employee? Brian thinks it's him, and it's close because I love Brian to death. Brian uh, Gottlieb. What what people might not know about Brian Gottlieb and my relationship is that it, it's not one where we don't like talk every day. We don't, you know. We're friends. We're absolutely friends. He's somebody whom I respect a great deal, and he's somebody whom I genuinely wanted to impress. Um, not just because he works at LSS or he's somebody within within flesh and blood, and I'm trying to establish myself as a career, but he's somebody who has a very refined and experienced voice and mind within card gaming, and somebody who who understands how to approach conflict how to resolve conflict and also how to smooth things over for the most part for the most part at the same time he's somebody i respect because he's also somebody who doesn't take bs uh when that bs is not warranted or i don't know how to properly explain that let, let me put it this way there's only so much that you can take before it's 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 perfectly fine to come at come back at something and i think brian is well measured in that re in that regard he uh he is not my favorite lss employee it's not even james white and james is somebody i love very much my favorite lss employee is actually josh scott josh scott is um when i met josh it was at one of the i think it was like pro tour new jersey like the first pro tour i believe and we went to we shared like an an uber somewhere uh to a dinner i think it was and he was just telling me stories about how he got with the company and it is one of the most fascinating stories about how to get into the company that i've ever heard like lss is very much a company that wants people who are passionate about the game and passionate about what they're doing and josh was just that josh josh's story about how he got hired i don't want to spoil it here because he has been on instant speed several times and that story exists in one of those episodes um but you can always ask me if you want or better yet ask josh himself but josh scott is my favorite lss employee um not just because of you know he's a nice guy or whatever the stories he tells are incredible. He is one of the most entertaining people to have at a dinner table because if you're a Curb Your Enthusiasm fan, he's a great middle. He's a good middler. Uh, he's, he drives a good conversation. He tells great stories. Um, he's also in, intensely um, modest yet incredibly intelligent. 
and he's also very kind and generous. Like that that time in New Jersey when I was flying home, my flight got canceled. Surprise, surprise. So I was stuck in New Jersey for an extra night. I didn't have a room. I didn't have anything. And I I didn't know who was still there. I didn't know a lot of people. I was still kind of cutting my teeth within Flesh and Blood. So I don't think I had I was it wasn't like people were just like, oh, hang out with me or hang out with this. I literally just messaged Josh Scott privately um and said hey dude i'm like are you in town because i don't have a i don't like i got stuck here i just was wondering if you want to grab dinner and he's like absolutely hell yes let's go and um now it's basically a recurring it's a recurring tradition whenever we're at an event together there's always josh flake time together there's always one evening where him and i get dinner together and hang out and catch up and talk and when we talk we talk very candidly and we talk very uh you know we're connected that way like josh to me is not just an lss employee josh to me is a very good friend and somebody whom i i love and adore and um i've been caught in a bind in certain situations where i didn't have a place to stay and he he let me you know he let me stay with him he always brings me the best chocolate from new zealand and uh he and I spent one hell of an hour in a sauna in a, in a hotel, literally just sitting there sweating our asses off, telling, like talking back and forth and just being very open with one another about where we are in life and stuff like that. Josh knows a lot of, uh, of the, the troubles and struggles that I go through, and he's somebody whom I love and adore. And surprise, surprise, Josh actually submitted a question. So let's hear from Josh. Hey Flake, it's Joshua Scott here, the Rules and Policy Manager for Legend Story Studios. Congratulations on your 100th episode of Instant Speed Podcast. My question for you is, what misconception do you think people have about you or your role in the flesh and blood community? All right, so there's Josh. Josh is actually sporting a beard, which I already gave him a little bit of uh, a poke about. He said that his wife doesn't like it. I think it's all right. That's just me. It's just weird to see Josh about it. And it's also very Josh-like to to approach it and approach this little recording much like uh, like he's announcing a player's meeting at a tournament. Hi, this is Josh Scott, rules and policy manager. That's my Josh Scott impression. I don't want to do a Josh Scott impression, but uh, Josh does a very good impression. He has, tells an excellent story about uh, meeting a dude on a bus who ended up proposing to his girlfriend. It's like one of the greatest stories, and it's hilarious. Um, he told it last on the last time that he was on Instant Speed. So if you guys go check out, I think it's like Instant Speed like 88 or 89, uh, he tells that story. So one of the misconceptions about my, me and my role within Flesh and Blood community, I suppose, um, what I, I'll, I'll, I'll do it in two forms and facets. I'll do it when I'm like at a, a gig working. So let's say like a pro tour world. And I will tell you one about outside of that more formal role when i'm casting a lot of people the misconception i get a lot um that a lot of people think is that we are we have a lot more agency we have a lot more decision making power and we have a lot more um we have a lot more uh control over what you all see this is totally not true 
And this is one thing that I need to tell people, because when you're in like chat of like YouTube or Twitch or wherever this stuff is being broadcast and you're like, play the game already or show the game or show the deck list or show this or put this person on stream or whatever, we have no we have no agency. In fact, we don't even see that stuff. Like, we don't see the chat. We don't know. We don't know what the hell's going on. What we see is what you see. Like, this is what people don't get. There's no, We're not in a command center. It's not NASA. We're at, like, a, a table, like a folding table that was probably, you know, better destined for, like, a TLC match. You know, like, a Dudley boy would go through it. Um, that's kind of what we're at. I mean, I make it sound a lot more rinky-dink than it actually is. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's not like it's not like you know ground control. Okay, so what we have is there's the two of us there, and we're looking at a screen, and what you see on the Twitch feed is what we are looking at as well, and commenting like doing our commentary right over it. Um, a lot of people think that uh, we have these massive stacks of like player profiles. Uh, that have all their achievements, where they're from, you know, what they did on Armory Night in 2019. We don't know this stuff. We don't even know who's going to be up on the at the table playing the feature match until probably, maybe if we're lucky, if we're lucky, five minutes before the actual game is played up there. And that's by the nature of trying to keep a broadcast running because when the round timer ends and then the new pairings go up. We're not trying to hold up the entire tournament so that we can get all the stuff so that you at home know that, you know, Joe Blow Saximo over there uh, finished 73rd at the calling in Las Vegas in 2020. Like, we don't have that information, and it's irrelevant at that point. What we're trying to do is keep keep things on schedule and keep things on track. So I've seen it, and I've heard it, and there's a lot of misconceptions because— I mean, I've seen it in chats. I've seen it in comments of, like, videos and tweets and whatever, where people think that us as commentators get, like, these player profiles, which has, like, their name, their location, their age, how to phonetically pronounce their name, uh, all their their finishes in tournaments. We do not get that. We don't get that. So everybody who kind of, like, craps on on casters for mispronouncing names, we get those names about two minutes before we go live and then it's on us if it's somebody we know and we can pronounce correctly then perfect that's amazing that's that's awesome but for example at worlds in san jose it was such uh, a difficult time because there's people from around the world all around the world culminating in san jose and you get a name and you're supposed to tell people how to, or you're supposed to pronounce this name correctly. Meanwhile, the name is like 65 consonants and three vowels sprinkled around and with like hyphens and letters and numbers and stuff like that. And obviously I'm exaggerating here, but the point I'm trying to make is that the criticism and the misconception is that we're coming in here with this this like research team that has all hun- all hundreds of players well documented and put, put together. I would love that. Don't get me wrong. I would love that. So when... I'm up there, and I'm saying something like, uh, here is so-and-so, and um, they, they've been having a lot of success at armories lately. And then, I, and then I get blown – I get some blowback from people saying, like, you know, you're talking about his armory wins, but you know this guy finished, like, 11th at the calling in, like, in Auckland or whatever? I don't know that. 
I, they don't print that stuff. They don't publish those kinds of results, and I don't know. All I know is from what I hear and what I speak to people about. So when I say something along the lines of that, it's because somebody either messages me privately and says, hey, dude, that's my friend who's up there. He's been having, like, he's been crushing us in armories. That's what I relate to you, the viewer, and... And I feel like that is a significant misconception is that we are we have like these massive teams of researchers that know everything inside out and have us like we have at Beck at our beck and call to to do this stuff. Would I love that? Fuck yeah, I would love that. I would absolutely love that. That would be great. They can get me M&Ms and coffee while they're at it too. But most of what we talk about regarding results, regarding uh, obviously name pronunciation, uh, personality, deck strategy and whatever, that is us talking to these players on our own to get this kind of insight. That's why I try my best to talk to as many players as possible, as many people as possible, to get insight on their deck, their strategy, where they're, where they're coming from, who they practice with, getting quotes from them. But at the same time, that's what I do on my own time. Like, I'm not, I'm not hired or paid to do this. I do this in the weeks leading up to an event, and I'm happy to say that the vast majority of people are happy to give me this information. But again, I am one person, and us as a broadcast team do our best to cover as many bases as possible. So I think that's a misconception. The other misconception outside of like those more formal uh, events is that <laughs> regarding this podcast, I think a lot of people put a lot of pressure on me and my podcast uh which I think I'm ta I can take as a little bit of a feather in my cap, but people think that I am meant to be a voice for the entire Flesh and Blood community. I'm not. I, I mean, I I'm not. Like, I don't know how else to say it. This is, Instant Speed is something that I did because I love this game and I like highlighting cool people in the community. But I have, I'm not paid by, I I'm not paid by LSS. I'm not directed by LSS. I'm not directed by anyone. I, I do this on my own regard. The only constraints I've ever had was when I was with 983 Media and there were there was outside influence from them on how the show would go, but I'm a, I'm on my own. I have no other restrictions than my own. So I think one of the misconceptions is that there's there's sort of like this this pressure of responsibility that people put on me to you have to put this person on the show. You have to have this many people from this region. You have to do this, and you have to put that, and you have to have a show about this. And why don't you do this? I don't care. I, I'm gonna be completely honest with you. As I try to be as much as possible, I I don't have to do those things. This is a a show that I put on where you know from week to week there are certain people within the community and certain events that occur where there are voices that I want to hear from about certain things and talk about and I'm not going to lie when things are slow I just go and and I want to talk to people that I have great relationships with you know people like Tarek or Matt Rogers or DM Armada or um you know uh there's plenty. There's plenty of people that I just want to have on the show because they're they're comfortable voices. They're 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 comfortable experiences. So I think that's a misconception that not everyone's going to have. But I think that the that that there's a takeaway there that I try my best to service this community by bringing this kind of content and and showcasing as many voices. And it kind of gets me down a little bit when people try to drag me a little bit through the mud because I'm not focusing on xyz as much as they particularly would want 
And that's, and I just, at that rate, I just kind of say, whatever. It's all good. Not my, not my business. I do what I want. I do it the way that I want. And you know what? To a certain degree, nobody's paying me to do this. So I do it the way I want. When I'm at a broadcast, when I'm getting hired, yeah, they're the boss. I do what they tell me to do because they are, they are paying me to do what I'm meant to do. But here, this is my own domain. Uh, let's go to another one. Let's go to another one. Who do we got? Who do we got? Hey, Flake, congratulations on hitting 100 episodes. It's a big milestone, and I'm looking forward to the next 100. Really quick while I'm here, though, I just want to get your thoughts uh, in light of the band and suspended announcement. Who the best boy band of all time is? Well, that is one hell of a swerve. That is Greg, a.k.a. Darth Prentice, who a lot of people might not know has his greasy little fingers in a lot of content that you enjoy. Excuse me, that you enjoy. Um, he's helped me with my show. Uh, sorting out audio and stuff. Um, he has worked a lot with Tommy Fresh, obviously, with Flesh and Pod. There's a lot of great content that he is technically responsible for. And when I say technically, I mean from a technical and production-related aspect. Not to mention, he's he's also appears on a lot of stuff. Greg is an incredible, incredible person. Um, he also, I like how he just sets it up. He puts it on the T about abandoned restricted announcement and then just sweeps the leg. And catches you off guard. The greatest boy band, first of all, um, is a, a scary debate to have because are you con- so? How far back are we going? Are you considering the Jackson Five a boy band? Because they were kids, dude. Uh, they were kids, and they were all boys, and they would have to be. They would have to be the number one choice here, in my opinion. Uh, so. Short answer, it's the Jackson 5. Bar none. But if we're going to be like, okay, 90s onward and even maybe dip a little bit into the 80s, like you've got New Kids on the Block, you've got In Sync, 98 Degrees, um, uh, O-Town, you've got, oh my God, there's a few other ones. There's obviously uh, Backstreet Boys and whatever. Look, I will be completely honest with you. It's, it's not 98 Degrees. It's not... Uh, by the way, if you're a Brit, if you're from the UK, you must know who Take That is because Robbie Williams was in, in Take That, I think, for a bit. Um, Take That is not it as well. It's not 98 Degrees. It's not It's not New Kids on the Block. It's Backstreet Boys. It is absolutely Backstreet Boys. And, and I say this not because they're like the most iconic because let's be real, out of all of these boy bands who have kind of had a member depart from it to do their own thing. The most successful out of all of them has been Justin Timberlake. So if you're going by individual success, then it's Justin Timberlake. It's not Robbie Williams. It's Justin Timberlake. But if we're going to kind of roll it back here, as a unit in terms of great music, and I grew up in high school hating the Backstreet Boys because all the girls loved the Backstreet Boys and Nerdy Flake didn't get any attention from the girls in high school. So I was like, damn them. It's got it. Like, it's got to be them. Uh, but then as you kind of, I grew up and I was like, yeah, you know what? Their music's kind of catchy. Like, and I'm not talking about like the early get down, get down and move it all around. Like, not that stuff. I'm talking about some of their mid 2000s to late 2000s to like 2010s and whatever. And they, they put out a new song a couple of years ago called Chances. And it's a really sweet song. It's really nice. And some of them have legitimate talent. Like, AJ McLean 
is a very good singer. He has a very unique, uh, unique voice. But in general, I, I would say that it's got to be it's got to be the Backstreet Boys. And one of my all time favorite songs from the Backstreet Boys. There's a couple I'll give you. Uh, recent is going to be Undone, and Undone was a album that they released without Kevin. Um, there was a four spot in that, so. They did an album without Kevin, so there's only four of them. Another one was Get Another Boyfriend. <laughs> I don't know why, but this is a song that whenever I go to karaoke, they never have it. They never have this song, but I always wanted to do this song for karaoke. But it's Backstreet Boys for sure. But if we're encapsulating like all of music, it's Jackson 5. All right, let's go to another one. Uh, who we got here? All right, you scruffy-looking nerf herder. I've got a three-part question. With all the news of, of crossovers and secret layers in, in Magic the Gathering, if Flesh and Blood ever did a Star Wars crossover, one, which hero are you playing? Two, what class are they? And three, what's their hero power? I can take my question off the... What? No, no, you ask him. What, what do you mean you're shy? <sighs> Frank would also like to know who your favorite dragon is. Congrats on 100, Flake. I'll see you 100 more. That is Mara Farris, the Pro Tour runner-up, uh, losing to Michael Fang, the sure thing, in uh, Baltimore. One of the most amazing things about Mara Farris that you might not know about is that her performance in Baltimore was one that she didn't have like a huge team. There's no like wolf pack or, or team ascent or, or whatever. She kind of did it on her own. And she did it her way, and I think that's very admirable in that regard. I think that's an incredible, incredible thing to do, to have your entire, you know, your, your, your performance, your success on your own terms, and that's not an easy feat. And what's more amazing about that is that we all went out to dinner that night. I was there. Logan was there. There's a bunch of us there, and she picked up the tab for, like, 12 to 16 people uh, at that at that night and she was just so overjoyed and i uh we give her we give her a lot of crap because she is uh she is one of the most uh outwardly confident people but it is uh it's kind of become a little bit of a shtick as well because she's so gracious so generous and so damn good at the game so that's mara farris for you so the question she asks is regarding star wars obviously and uh if I if if the Star Wars characters could be a hero, what would they be? I mean, and who would I play? It would be Han Solo. Like I like much like Mara Farris. It's a, this is a great way to or a great person to ask this particular question, mainly because Mara is is the Empress of Volcor, as it has been decreed by James White. She has her her jam. It is Dromai. It's dragons. That's what she does. For me, we all know it's Star Wars and. But my dromai of Star Wars is Han Solo. The dude is one of the greatest or my favorite fictional character of all time. It is like Han Solo and Spider-Man. They're like neck and neck. These are two whom I absolutely adore, whom I cherish. They have meant so much to me in my formative years. Um, Han Solo, it would be Han Solo. I would make it work. I don't care if he's on the crap levels of Riptide-esque type of like just you know futility i would play it no matter where like i play bravo because i adore bravo i would suspect that um i feel like han solo would be a 
I feel like he'd be a lightning ranger to me. Like, I want to say Guardian because I love Guardian so much. But he's all about weird plans and, and, you know, awkward kind of weird stuff going on and um, chaining things together and, 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 and sort of improvising plans with weird stuff. Um, but then again, he doesn't get a blaster. So, you know what? Maybe he's a mechanologist. I think he's a mechanologist. Yeah, you know what? No, Han Solo would be a mechanologist because he's got the he's got the blaster. He's got the pew-pew. He uses a lot of items and weird stuff. Like, he'll build stuff. He'll always modify stuff. Han Solo is a mechanologist, and I would absolutely play that. And as for who my favorite dragon is, it's a very good question as well. I don't know. They all suck. Like, there's none that I really... Because as a Guardian player, having played against Dromai and, you know, 50-minute sort of marathon matches of popping dragons left, right, center, my favorite dragon is is the one that's... It's the one that eats my Winter's Whale most efficiently, and that's typically Miragai. So, I, you know what? I will say this. I'm just going to say it's Yenderai because it's the least... It's the least interesting one, and it's the one that when they play, I'm like, whatever. <laughs> like, it's a three block. Like, that eats a three block once a turn. I don't even care. Like, my Anathos will eat it up, but that's uh, that would be it, I suppose. It's going to be Yenderai. Let's, uh, let's keep going here. What do we got? Hey, Flake. Marco from the Teclo Foundry here. Let's have a quick question for you. So to apply wrestling to flesh and blood, which hero, in your opinion has had the best heel turn in the history of the game. And on the flip side, which hero do you think has had the best face turn in the game? Let me know what you think. That is a very fascinating question. So for those who don't know, a face is basically the term used in wrestling to being a hero, somebody you cheer, a good guy. A, a heel is somebody who's the bad guy that you want to root against, that you boo when they come out. They do all the nasty stuff. You know, they're the ones who fight dirty that you don't want to see win. So when somebody says, when somebody, when you hear the term heel turn, it means when a good guy turns bad and a face turn is when a bad guy turns good. So that's a little bit of wrestling context. But thank you so much for that submission. We love it. Uh, wrestling questions are always a lot of fun to answer. Uh, because flesh, let's be real, flesh and blood is a fighting game, and wrestling is pretty cool. And you're using moves, right? It's like you have weapons and stuff like that, but you're using moves, you know, like down and dirty. Like that that sounds kind of like a, a wrestling finisher. Um, I would say that the best heel turn in flesh and blood has been it, it's Lexi. Lexi is the greatest heel turn, I think, in flesh and blood history. I was debating on oldham but i think people didn't like oldham the whole time and they only grew to hate him more he was never a face oldham was more of just like a neutral that kind of eventually slid down the the heel heel turn side but i think lexi originally everybody celebrated when yuki lee bender won canadian nationals in 2021 as lexi because it was the bastard child of tales of aria it was the well it's a bad hero and it's never gonna it's never gonna be good i think that a lot of players eventually came to realize the potency of lexi after outsiders and translate that into just outright hating the hero and you could see the vitriol you could see the people calling for ban this ban that ban voltaire ban blah 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 whatever ultimately it's a very strong hero 
uh, arguably probably maybe a top five i'm stretching here i'm i doubt it's a top five deck all time but it's it's likely pushing up there it's it's easily a top 10 deck all time um but the best lexi decks went from being sort of the the plucky hero that wins a tournament here and there that that are, are a lot of people when they'd face it would be like okay like this is cool you know let's make a game out of this but ultimately i'm probably gonna win to god damn it i gotta play against another freaking lexi like that's where it, it came down to that's where we we kind of landed on that and i think that that's fair i think that that is probably the best heel turn in ever because it went to being this uh this kind of like forgotten but beloved hero in the shadows of Briar, in the shadows of Oldham, um, that eventually emerged as public enemy number one. And I think that if you're going from face to heel, you might not, like, the gap that you need to measure here is maybe she wasn't, like, the biggest face, but she was in the mid-range, but she went all the way to the bottom of the barrel. So that gap, that that amount of of real estate between the two is enormous so i'm gonna say that it's it's lexi but in terms of face turns um that's a tough one that is a tough one because oftentimes if people hate something they might they might just like it's hard to to come around to it i'm thinking briar but like a lot of people didn't like briar i think that the face turn for briar wasn't necessarily a face turn. I think it was more that people just were cheering for it to actually cross Living Legend, which Charles then eventually did at US Nats. Um, it's not, it's definitely not Oldham. Um, like, I think a lot of people didn't like Katsu for a while. That's a, that's, this is a tough one. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to say, um, I'm going to say Viserai. I'm going to say Viserai for this reason because I think that there are a lot of people who, when Skeleta was around, didn't really like Viserai. But now it's a little bit more digestible. Um, so I'll, I'll say that. And this was a tough one because usually coming from heel to face is a harder turn. Um, yeah, let's just go with Viserai. I think that a lot of people are a little bit more uh, accepting of a Viserai match and not necessarily complaining about it so much. So we'll say that. I'm going to say Viserai on that question and i appreciate uh i appreciate you asking that question we've got more who else we got here i'm not sure if you can hear the music in the background um so i'm hoping you don't get demonetized for this but flake um i love you mate i hope you're doing well well done on your 100th episode on instant speed uh, I'm waiting for my invite back, although, you know, I probably won't do very well for views. But I understand this. It's okay. Um, but hey-ho, these things happen. And uh, I just wanted to ask you if there was a moment where we would meet again in the flesh and blood to sing some karaoke, what would be your choice of song to sing with Az from Girl Again Gaming? That's it, really. All right, that is Az. Az is a wonderful human being. I don't think there's anybody out there that wears that kind of love and passion on his sleeve for for everything, for what he does. He is unapologetically Az, is the way I want to say it. 
And it's the best way to be. It's absolutely the best way to be. Be loved for who you are, not who you're pretending to be. That's kind of a mantra that I uh, I, I try to do, or I try to uphold and 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 represent since I went on this journey. Um, that journey, by the way, is one where I find that I mean I've been doing this kind of stuff for a long time, and I told myself at the beginning that I would try to do this the right way, and not align myself with people that I don't necessarily believe in or respect or, or have, um, have a good opinion of. And I can always change that opinion and people do change, but there's, that is one thing that, um, if you know me and, 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 uh, it's easy to say because there are a lot of people, if you, if, if somebody hasn't been on this program or I have not collaborated with, it might not be because they're a bad person, but like one thing I will always say is that I don't care how popular somebody is. I don't care how many views or clicks. If I don't respect them or I don't like them or I don't like I don't agree with what they do or how they present themselves, they will not I will not collaborate with them. I will not have them on the show. That isn't to say that people who have not been on the show are bad people. That's not that's not the truth. Those aren't married in any way. But there are a lot of people um who I want to have on the show, who will eventually be on the show. But there's also people who, people have said, you should have so-and-so on the show. And I just, I don't even like approach the, the topic. I literally say, yeah, it's a great suggestion. And in my mind, I'm like, never in a million years um, because I just, I just don't like them. And I'm not, I don't have to like everybody. Uh, I don't hate anybody. I just don't, there are people I just don't like. And that's, that's, that's the case. That's the reality of it. Uh, as, however, is somebody whom I adore. Uh, just as a background thing, there are people whom I had worked with briefly in the Gwent world who turned out to be even bigger scumbags than I thought that they were. Like colossal, disgusting, uh, awful human beings that I knew. I knew that they were bad people. And I warned people about these people. And uh, But when you're not popular, when you don't have the views, when you don't have the followers, when you don't have the influence, the sway – you're you sometimes are only as good as uh the amount of clicks you get which is a terrible algorithmocracy that we live in it's not the way that merit should be weighed however that's the truth and uh i that and sometimes being holding up to that integrity of saying i don't want to work with these people it'll 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 cost you that kind of rocket ship or that a little bit of the, of the momentum and the progress that you're making towards success. But the integrity and in your reputation is what kind of you got to lean on. Uh, I don't want to get too deep about that stuff, but it's one thing that I say is like your reputation is your currency in this industry. And it's one that you cannot, if you go bankrupt on that, it's like, <laughs> it's bad news. You can't come back from it as is a, a glorious human being. I love him to death. Um, we did karaoke in France. We did it in Lille. It, I, I always talk about this. I always mention it. I tweet it out whenever there's a big event. I, I kind of like half-jokingly say karaoke, karaoke. I mean it, though. And like every time I go out to an event, I try to organize it. I did this with Gwent in, in Warsaw all the time, and no one ever showed up uh, until one day we did because I think it was like one of the last times that we were going to do a Gwent event. It was, la it was like two Augusts ago. It was August 2022. We were in Warsaw. It was myself. It was uh, a lot of like Gwent personalities, people, I'm going to say names, and you're not going to recognize a lot of them. But my co-caster, whom I love and adore, um, 
dude named Henry Fang, a.k.a. Shinmiri. Uh, people like um, uh, my friend Crozer and Miss Lady J, who are now married, which is amazing. A friend of mine um, by the name of Specy, Specimen, who, you know, doing Marvel Snap stuff, who's an incredible just a tour de force of a human being. Anyway, we were out there uh, doing karaoke, but I tried to bring that to Flesh and Blood, and Az was all about it, which was amazing. So we organized it, and he paid for a room, and he just kept doubling down on the hour and the hour, and, like, six people showed up of the, like, 20 that had said they'd show up, which is standard Facebook group type of, like, invite math. It's, it's what it is. I was there. Az was there. Pleasant Kenobi, a.k.a. Vince, was there. Craig Kremples and his wife, uh, Jasmine, were there. Uh, my girlfriend at the time came with us as well. Uh, a few other people showed up, and we had a great time. And we sang our bloody hearts out. And they had, they, I had to work the next day, uh, so I had to kind of take it easy. I had like one or two drinks. But they were slamming um, margaritas like holy Moses. But we were singing... I did Incubus. I did like Backstreet Boys. We did Rage Against the Machine. We did all kinds. But as if it was you and I again, man, if it's you and I, man, I don't know. Like, I feel like I feel like there's got to be some sort of duet that you and I can do where you bust out that like hair metal kind of awesome energy. I, I just slide on in with a little bit of boy band flair. I don't know what that would be. I don't know, an Evanescence song? <laughs> I don't know, man. I really don't know. But the easy answer for me, surprisingly enough, is that I love to karaoke R&B songs. Things like a Justin Timberlake, more R&B, soul kind of song, Blackstreet. Uh, I like to do Elvis now and then. Incubus, obviously, because it's my favorite band of all time. Um, Jimmy Eat World. Dude, uh, The Philosopher Kings, Cry, that's a song. Look that one up. That's a great song. Um, yeah, so these are all definitely answers that I would I would definitely uh, want to do, but I'll let you choose. But hey, if, if you're paying for the hour, you get to choose the songs. That's the rule. Let's go onward and forward. What do we got here? Hey, Flake. My question is, best Incubus album and why Make Yourself? Oh, so this is good timing on this question. Best Incubus album, and why is it Make Yourself? Make Yourself was their third studio release. I think it went Fungus Among Us, Science, and then Make Yourself. But Make Yourself was the album that brought them onto the mainstream. It was their radio hit album, which gave you the song Drive. You know, the song is like, Whatever tomorrow brings, I'll be there. That song. That is uh, Incubus. And that came off the album Make Yourself, which I believe came out in 20, or sorry, 1999, if I'm not mistaken, or 2000. I think it was 99. Incubus is my all-time favorite band, for those who don't know. I have, uh, I've seen them seven times uh, in Toronto, in Montreal, in New York, in Las Vegas. I traveled around a bit to see them. I also got to meet them. And this is one of the more fascinating little tidbits. Because when I, I, I went to meet them with like a VIP meet and greet ticket. And for the record, that ticket cost me $100 a hundred dollars to meet the band and get front row center floor seats 
unreal the time that we lived in once upon a time. And as I was lining up to go into the area to go meet them, the buddy that I was there with says, dude, what if they are like assholes? And it totally threw me off because it never crossed my mind. And a lot of people say, hey, never meet your heroes because you never know what happens and you don't want to ruin that that little bubble. And I said, God damn it. Like, that's you're not wrong. And like one of my all-time favorite hockey players, whom I won't mention, uh, uh, who I was like, this is an awesome player. And he, he's an awesome player. He's retired. Uh, had a lot of like personal struggle that, they overcame. But then I found out that like this dude is not like that the deity that I that I thought him. And that's a sobering thought. But for Incubus, I was like, dude, I'm like, I can't because I I like all I do is listen to their music. That's how I I have such an emotional connection. I can't ruin it. I can't sever that that emotional bond I have with this music. And I go there and I was worried. And I knew a lot about the band, as a lot of like super fans do. They just follow the band and know a lot about their life and their projects. And I had a piece of conversation that I, I wanted to present, like these little 30-second conversation snippets that, yeah, I'm a nerd, and like I was preparing for this. But stuff that wasn't like just gushing over them and being like, oh my god, I love you, I love you, your, your music's amazing, oh my god, I love you. I wanted to talk a little bit about the stuff that they were into that wasn't necessarily music or incubus related so like for example uh i knew that the dj like the turntable keyboard guy was like a pirates fan a pittsburgh pirates fan and i was a big i'm still a baseball fan huge baseball fan but back then i was like a stats guru and like i was so into baseball so i went i asked him about like the team and like what they thought about this and this and whatever and the dude was like oh yeah yeah then i went to their guitarist mike einzinger who had graduated from Harvard recently and was composing his own, he composed his own like symphony called End Vacuum. And I asked him about that and the process about that. And he was like, oh my God, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I asked, uh, their drummer had recently won like uh, an award about like for drumming and I talked to him about that. And then it came down to asking uh, their the lead singer, Brandon Boyd. And I'm like, I don't know what to, to talk to him about. Like, I don't. Like, this guy has written some of my favorite lyrics of all time. This guy has written stuff that has spoken to me. And, and again, if it, you might think it's, it's cringy and weird and whatever, but to you I say this. I, I hope one day that some type of media, some type of music or art speaks to you the way that that speaks to me. And it's not the same for everyone. Um, and that's just the way it is. I just hope that you kind of get that one day. But I go up to him. And before I say anything, he puts out his hand and he says, hi, my name is Brandon. What's your name? And I was like, in my head, I was like, bitch, I know who you are. Like, you don't have to say this. And I said, oh, my name is Matt. You know, it's welcome to Toronto. And we started talking about, he's like, you know, I asked him, like, what have you been doing? Like, when did you arrive? And he was, we're talking about the aquarium. We're talking about this. We're talking about a bunch of stuff. And before long, they had to be like, okay, listen, you guys got to move it along because the next group is going to come in. So they're like, all right, like, let's get together for a group picture. And keep in mind, there's like 12 people there and the five members from the band. So there's like 17 of us. And there's this big backdrop. And I'll put the picture on screen of like all of us or, or like the picture that uh, I have. And they're like, everybody like get together with Incubus for a picture. So Incubus was kind of in the center, like all five dudes. 
And then everybody kind of hung around the periphery. And I was like, screw this. When am I ever going to meet these, these dudes again? So I went right in between all of them. And I'm like, I'm here, man. I'm never going to meet these people ever again. Well, I say that. But like, this is an opportunity for me to just have a memory that I will cherish forever. So I stand in the middle. We take a few pictures, whatever. Like, they put their arm around me. We're doing poses, whatever. And when they're like, all right, you know, thanks for coming. Enjoy the show, blah, blah, blah. And they're starting to, like, usher us out. And the band members go back to their t signing table. And as I'm leaving, I hear, hey, Matt. And I turn around, and it's Brandon Boyd, the lead singer of Incubus. And he gives me a big hug. And he said, it was really cool to meet you, man. And I was like, I was like that really got to me because it meant a lot to know that they cared about, you know, us, but at the same time, just to know that these are good people and that they were doing good things and that all of my trust and my love and my passion with this band was rewarded. Um, it was just, it was rewarded. Like it was just like you, you, you're right. You're, you're right to love these dudes. And I still do. And I love them to death. Uh, and it's hard to name a favorite album. Make yourself is probably it for me. You have drive on there. Stellar. Uh, the warmth is on that. Uh, I think um, <sighs> Blood on the Ground is on that album. No, Blood on the Ground is on Make uh, Morning View. Ultimately, all this to say is that it's it's up there, probably with Science and Make Yourself. Those three, al uh, Make Yourself, Science, and Morning View. I think those three are incredible. But I mean, so is Crow Left of the Murder. Crow Left of the Murder, which came out in 06, I think, was phenomenal as well. Then came Light Grenades, which was hit or miss. Then came If Not Now When, which I think, in my opinion, is their weakest but most risky album. Like, they went super soft on that one. Um, then came, like, Eight. Uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I would, I, I would probably say it's Make Yourself, though. What do we got? Matt Two Tokes here with a question for you, Flake. After meeting you in Baltimore, we had a great wrestling conversation. What got you hooked on wrestling? Want to hear the in-depth story? Was it friends, family? With me, I grew up with it. Grandmother watched Bruno San Martino defend the belt. It's in my blood. Yes, Maddie Two Tokes. Maddie Two Tokes is a awesome Patreon uh, supporter of the show. Also, yeah, you're right. I met this dude at an event. We talked wrestling. Uh, which which I love to do. Um, fun fact, though, I only got back into wrestling when I got into Flesh and Blood. I was sort of completely separated from wrestling. I got back into wrestling about the time that they were announcing CM Punk's return to AEW, or the, sorry, the launch of AEW in general was when I got reinterested in it. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that some of the people that I talk wrestling with uh, were because they were people that I practiced flesh and blood with. Uh, most notably, uh, Brian Basoko of Kayfabe Cards. Him and I, um, he knows so much about wrestling, so whenever there's something that comes out wrestling-wise, I usually talk to him about it. But how did I get into it? Well, I grew up watching it with my dad because it's what you do. It was on TV on a Saturday, and you're in your living room with your dad, and then, like, you watch it, and then all of a sudden, you just want to you just want to wrestle your dad, and that's 
how it goes. And it's fun to know that my dad kind of looked a little bit like Razor Ramon at the same time. But like I would, you know, the funny part of the, about that with my dad, like that wrestling with my dad, is that my dad would wrestle with me on like uh, the living room floor, and then my mom would get mad because my dad, my mom knew that my dad, like something would happen with his glasses. Like I would break his glasses. Like, so all the time, every single time we'd wrestle, my dad would have his glasses on. My mom would be like, you're going to break your glasses. You're going to break your glasses. And then of course, as we're wrestling, his glasses sort of shoot off. And then all the fun ends because my mom gets mad at my dad. My dad gets mad at my mom for getting mad at him. And meanwhile, it's like, okay, well, I guess it's a DQ. Like, <laughs> that's it. So there was no winners. However, I got into it watching, uh, you know, Royal Rumbles, pay-per-views and stuff like that and Saturday Saturday wrestling. Uh, like, I, I watching Bret Hart, watching Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, Yokozuna. Like, these were the titans. These were the big deals. But then going through high school, like uh, elementary school into high school, was the Attitude Era, which was – it wasn't just that it was good wrestling during for wrestling fans. It was just good entertainment. It was pop culture. It became mainstream. It was on Monday nights at nine. It was must see watch like TV. It, you know there was no streaming services. There was none of that on Mondays at nine p.m. You freaking watched Monday Night Raw because it was the best TV for people in that demographic. And you can probably call me whatever you want and say, oh, typical male teenager watching like this brutal nonsense it was good tv it was entertaining dude like and that's that was great storytelling and the characters were awesome like you had degeneration x you had stone cold steve austin uh kurt angle the undertaker and and all these awesome people and ultimately it was just captivating tv which myself and a lot of the friends that i grew up in high school with um and friends that i grew up in elementary school with friends that i've had since kindergarten friends uh, like my friends chris and steve um and you might know a friend of mine uh, by the name of house who i met in um in high school these are people that i just we just would eventually on mondays like once we all started once we were all able getting to our, like getting our like driver's license when we were like 16 17 18 years old and we got our driver's license we would like borrow our parents car drive to somebody's house and order a pizza and watch wrestling on mondays it's how how we would hang out and then when we all kind of went our separate ways into college and university and whatever and we all had different paths that was one of the sacred things that kept us all together as friends and we weren't watching it with the same awe and wonder and investment for us it was like here is something that we've all loved for so long and here we are together doing the same thing 10 12 15 years later and bringing wrestling back now it's like obviously it's scripted it's just you're watching performers perform stunts with a story like an underlying storyline and that that i mean there's no mystery there that's just the where we're at but the beauty of it is how i get to hang out with people that i love to just talk about stuff you know it's like it's like think about it this way if you're when you talk to somebody about what the better sideboard card is it down and dirty or is it a race face and you're having like these 20 minute conversations about that somebody on the outside looks at you guys like you're completely wacko it's the same thing if somebody looks at me and when i talk to brian basoko about cm punk you know potentially returning to wwe 
like people are like who cares well who cares about erase face and down and dirty it's what we like and who cares like this is this is what got me into it was watching it with my dad eventually bringing that with with my closest friends that i grew up with in in elementary and high school and how we kept that going and now reigniting it as it's kind of on a resurgence with friends that i have now friends that i i, I care deeply about now and and watching these things and and you know, having little watch parties and Discord chats while these things are happening. For example, Wrestle Dream, AEW Wrestle Dream just happened. And we were all watching it together in a chat. And when uh, Adam Copeland, a.k.a. Edge, came out, we all kind of knew it, but it was still, it was a good feeling. It's like, hey, we were there. We were also there watching when CM Punk made a return to AEW. And I'm sure if the rumors are true and he goes back to WWE, we will all watch that as well. So that's what got me into it. But the fact that your grandma got to watch Bruno Sammartino... Uh, defend the title bruno sammartino i believe is the longest uh reigning champion in wrestling history i think he held the belt for like four years or something but anywho great question i appreciate it what else we got hey flake question for you but first congratulations on your 100th episode of the instant speed podcast but uh my query is as follows uh, if you could hang out for the day with any of the heroes from flesh and blood who would it be and why is it Katsu? That's a great, that is a very good question uh, from Doa, Eric Longquist, who, if you do not know Doa, Doa's casted, casted at Worlds. Uh, Doa is also uh, a titan in the industry. Uh, I don't want to make him sound too old, but he has been there, done that. Uh, Rainbow Six, StarCraft, Overwatch League, uh, everything. Valorant, I think flesh and blood the dude is just incredible and i am very very lucky to have him as not just a colleague within the industry but a friend as well he and i also have a podcast together called wampa radio where we talk about star wars card gaming um if i were to hang out with anybody from wraith one of the heroes who would it be and why is it katsu it's not katsu i'm, I'm gonna be real i know that doe is a huge ninja guy um his ninja spoiler videos are absolutely epic they're absolutely epic if you haven't seen them like the crouching tiger excuse me the crouching tiger one was impressive the floating dojo one was hilarious the dude just is unmatched we love him to death so why it's not katsu because i feel like katsu just wouldn't say much and as somebody who talks a lot uh, this is very much another misconception is that people think that when i'm away from the microphone that i'm gonna be i want to talk a lot i honestly don't i want to hear i want to listen to what other people have to say i want to i want to have conversations about a whole bunch of other stuff but i don't want to be the one with the pressures of leading conversations and i feel like with katsu that's what you got to do you're gonna be like you know pulling teeth out of this guy to get answers to stuff he doesn't seem like a very talkative person bravo on the other hand would talk a lot and i don't think i want that either so it's not going to be bravo either because i feel like to a certain degree he's going to be there's going to be a lot of one-upmanship with bravo a lot of oh yes but you know i also you know those people who are like you say something and it's like oh dude i went to the uh uh i, I was playing golf today and uh i hold out out of the sand like a bunker from like you know uh it was like easily 30 or 40 feet and i i hold it out from like this really deep pop bunker and then that person's just like oh well i did one from like i i hold out from like 30 yards away uh with a 
with a pool cue and you're like okay well that like what's the what's the story um or somebody who asks you how you're doing because they just want to tell you how they're doing like you know those type of people i feel like that's how bravo is probably be like hey how's your day and you'll be like well actually he's like well that's cool but here's how my day went that's how i feel bravo would be on my end i think that the person i'd want to uh hang out most with I think I honestly believe that I'm just going through them. It's not chain. It's none of the rune blades. Although Briar seems to be interesting potentially. Like I'm leaning towards Lexi. I feel like Lexi might be the most fascinating to me because I feel like I feel like Lexi is the type of hero that doesn't care about bragging. Just wants to live their life and do what they do and enjoy themselves. Where it's like, hey, Lexi, like, tell me a story about like this, that. And they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. They tell you about it. But then they'd also want to hear about your stuff because they're just so fascinated by the experience itself that they want to hear yours. It's not about uh, one-upmanship. It's not about being the victor in a conversation. Like Conversations aren't meant to have winners and losers. They're meant to be shared experiences. It's meant to be an exchange of ideas and, and feelings and whatever. And I feel like like Lexi would be best suited for that. Um katsu i feel would give you the bare minimum you know it's like or very cryptic it's like hey how do you get to uh the train station and he'd be like say something like as the eagle flies you will and it's like dude just give me like freaking directions man like lefts rights stoplights you know that's the kind of thing so i feel like lexi would just be the most give and take the most appreciative of the experiences that you're trying to convey. I think that's it. Or Han Solo. <laughs> All right, next next one, what do we got here? G'day Flake, my name is David, and this question comes at you from a small town called Euroa here in regional Victoria, Australia. Now, when things heat up in the flesh and blood competitive scene, uh, we actually have barbecues out here and friends and community members travel in from towns to make a night of it. We have some sausages, drink a few beers, cheer on uh, Mara Farris, Matt Folks, Michael Fang, you name it. Now, as somebody that's emerging as a specialist in this broadcast space, I guess my question for you is, how would you like to see the game evolve to heighten the impact and the excitement of your flesh and blood broadcast events? Thank you. Wow. Well, thank you so much, uh, David, from Euroa, which is a nice little town that I've never heard of. But judging by that video, I want to be there because that looks like a very cozy space. And if you're having barbecues while watching Flesh and Blood events, that's where I want to be. That is what I want to do. Uh, obviously, I want to be in the booth and I want to bring you this kind of entertainment and these kind of events. But being able to just kind of sit there and and have like a, a barbecue going while you're watching Flesh and Blood, that's incredible. That is so cool. So uh, I will do my best. David, next time that there's a major event that you guys are watching and having a barbecue, make sure that you message me because I want to shout you guys out. Send me a picture of what you're cooking too. Try to get that on the broadcast. How would I want to see broadcasts and events evolve uh, to heighten the experience? This is a conversation that I have had with so many other broadcasts for, for, uh, broadcasters for years uh, myself, Tan and Grace, uh, Brian Gottlieb, DM Armada, 
um, a lot of these, uh, you know, people like Charmer and, and et cetera, like all these amazing people that I have had the privilege of working with, we always exchange ideas. How can we make this better? Uh, Brendan Patrick, as well as, uh, you know, Sam O'Byrne and, and, uh, and, and, and Pankaj and, and et cetera, uh, Red Zone Rogue. I'm trying to, I don't want to leave anybody out. I've, I've worked with, I've been lucky enough to work with so many people. But part of it that, like, some of the ideas that we throw out there, seem so simple but are hard to execute hand cams hand cams are awesome and ethan van sant who does savage feats is amazing at what he does and sets the bar in my opinion for this type of guerrilla broadcasting and i think that it's incredible what he's doing and um if you are ethan charge more for what you do because you deserve it and if you're hiring ethan pay him more because he deserves it hand cams are the the step that I think were most obvious, and Ethan does this incredibly, and the fact that you can zoom in on him because part of the information that we want as broadcasters is to see the lines and the potential of what a turn can turn into and how we can paint that narrative to not give away what the obvious moves are, but what the potentials are, what the opportunities are, and to give you, the viewer, in your mind, you can weigh what the best options are. We're not telling... We're not going to tell you what the player should do or, or not necessarily what they should, what they're going to do. We tell you what the options are and weigh the pluses and minuses. And then you can make the decision on your own. It's not for us to tell you what the best play is. It's for us to tell you what the op options are. Hand cams help you do that. And I think that Ethan does an excellent job. We have been so, so, so vocal for years. Tan and Grace, myself, many have been just there beating the drum of saying, if you can put a camera in the arsenal... Oh, that would be so cool. Much like you see those poker tournaments where they put the cards in that little, in in the hole, right? And there's a camera there that allows you to see what is in the arsenal. Now, I don't know how many times there's a million things going on at once. There's people passing me notes. There's a producer whispering in my ear. There's, you know, a, a clock going and games going and cards being shuffled and this and that, that sometimes you just miss what the hell is in the arsenal. Yes, I know. It happens. It's criminal. And for all the people who say that I'm a terrible broadcaster because I can't uh, figure out what was in the arsenal that was put there like 80 turns ago, I'm sorry. I'm never going to get better than that. Having a cam there, though, is a pretty cool way to say, let's see what's in the arsenal here. And oh, bang, it just makes for good TV. And I think that that's a really cool thing to do is just to just toss a card in there and say, voila. Here it is. It's a sink below, or it's a pummel, or it's a down and dirty. Like, are these cool cards that have come out of nowhere and just kind of mess things up? You know when you're like, oh, well, if that's a card, if that's a uh, Oasis Respite in Arsenal, well, then he's screwed, and let's go take a look. What is it? Bam! It's not. It's a sink below, or it's a, I don't know, you know, it's a crippling crush or whatever. Like, these are the kinds of conversations that you can have with those kind of added elements. Now, it's easy to say, and it seems easy to execute, but it's not. You need to create the actual, you know, the the hardware, which is the table and the cameras and all that. Then you have to make sure that the production team knows what's going on. They read your cues and, and all that kind of stuff. From a technical perspective, I think that's it. Uh, uh, that's the next thing I want to see. I also kind of want to see, um, man, a lot of the stuff is nitpicky. And it's easily solvable, like glare and such. I say easily because I don't have to do it. But um, that, I think, to me, is the next uh, aspect from, like, a technical perspective to Im improve broadcasts is, like, the clarity of the board and access to hands and arsenal. 
Uh, deck count is the next one that I would love to see, but that's almost impossible to keep track of. Like, I don't know what kind of software you can develop that'll track how many cards are in a deck, but I think deck count is very, very important as well. Um, if there's somebody who can code how many cards are left and what the pitch stack is coming up, brilliant. Go do it. Make a bajillion dollars. But that would be it from, from that perspective. But from the perspective of everything else, the intangibles, I think that LSS and these types of events, the major events, I think that LSS in its third moving into its fourth like big competitive year needs to start capitalizing on the names that are now recognizable, are established, are, are accomplished and successful that you can now start fl- like sprinkling personality on these these events and instead of selling the prize money instead of selling the prestige of a trophy you're selling the experience to the viewer of uh you're gonna have brody spurlock versus this person you're gonna have this person versus this person this person's gonna be here that person's gonna be here and you really dig into it and i know there's gonna be a lot of people saying like well what about this person well yeah you're right what about this person you're gonna to have to make you're gonna to have to make decisions, and not everyone's gonna be happy. But that's the reality of it in general. You're not gonna interview 400 people and have all of their player profiles put up there. But what I want to see is, um, for example, like we're going into Worlds in Barcelona. Thursday is Thursday's kind of like the uh, banquet night that begins at like five or six p.m. Why don't you put out a call to 20 notable players and say, hey, we want to do quick, like 20 to 30 second sound bites that we can play ahead of your matches if you get on there. Things like, you know, a cool little panoramic kind of camera, camera pan around them, them talking and saying, like, I came here with this strategy and I'm going to want smush you and I'm going to do this. I I think that the next level, the evolution is focusing, uh, is is sort of integrating the personalities of the players who have shaped this game and who have really developed flesh and blood into the competitive powerhouse it is in terms of card gaming and really put them into, into spotlight. There's so many incredibly fascinating personalities, so many important voices in the game that you know them for how great they play the game, but what you don't know is how much crap they talk, how much like trash they're talking ahead of the game, or how modest they are outside of it, or how how you know like someone like Lucas Oswald. I want to hear more of Lucas Oswald. Lucas Oswald is a very young player who is incredibly accomplished, but this this dude can talk some shit, dude, and I'm all for it. Matt Folks is somebody that you need to hear uh, give give these promos like cut cut these promos and i don't want to keep bringing it back to wrestling but let's get let's get completely real here if there's if i could do anything in flesh and blood i would want to be like a like a i want to be like brody spurlock's manager where i'm cutting the promos uh for him and then he's like going in there and he's like flexing his belt and doing all this stuff or you know like some of the quieter not saying that brody spurlock is quiet by no means he doesn't need me as a manager i'm just saying that if I'm going to back a horse, it's going to be him. But that's what we need. And we get that now. And I think that we're finally coming around to knowing that, hey, Mara Farris, she's the dromai lady. And she's the one who comes out here and talks a lot of trash. And she's super confident. And she cuts a good promo and do the, does this stuff. And people are, people are becoming 
fans of the players as much as they're fans of the heroes and the games themselves. And that, I think, is the right direction to go because a lot of people don't watch wrestling because they like wrestling. They watch wrestling because they like the personality and the interactions that they have. And yeah, the, the wrestling can be cool and all, but they want to see how this person reacts in certain situations. They want to see how they succeed or not. Like, I want to I want to hear more from Pablo Pintor. I want to hear more from Matt Folks. I want to hear more from, I don't know, the whoever else Tarek Patel I want to hear more from Tarek Patel you know those are the types of things I want to hear and I think that that's the next level that's the evolution of competitive flesh and blood it's sharing the spotlight like I mean when the game came out the spotlight had to be on gameplay on prize money on prestige on on that kind of thing you know I'm watching worlds because it's the biggest tournament but now I want to watch worlds because I want to see who wins I want to see if my favorite players win I want to see if how Charles Dunn does, who's one of the nicest, most, you know, modest people who just gets the job done, has his shtick, he's a control player, gets it done. I want to hear from these players. Like, yeah, I'm tuning in because I want to see who wins the world championship. But I like a lot of the times I don't like I want to watch a match because of the names that are playing in it, not the heroes that are playing in it. Like and, and that that I think is is the natural progression of competitive card gaming. Focus on the players, focus on their personalities. They are what are making your game great. They are what are drawing a lot of people in. Be it their gameplay, their deck text, their this, their that. But a lot of it too is the fact that they're just fascinating people. I want to see. I want to hear from Fino Black. Okay, I want to hear from these people because they they cut good promos. They have great personalities. And they're different. And that's important. One of my biggest criticisms, I say criticisms. One of my biggest um, sort of wishes when I was casting competitive Gwent for so long, because competitive Gwent for the record was, it was just a top eight. It was a top eight, a best of five, and a top eight. Uh, you qualified for the top eight by grinding ladder and winning like these qualifier tournaments. And the top eight, they would do, they, everybody would show up on like the Wednesday. The tournament was Saturday, Sunday in Warsaw. And like the Thursday and Friday would be where they recorded all the B-roll for the players. So they'd take them, do interviews, cut all the stuff. And then they would like play all these interviews throughout the tournament. And they were great because there was one player by the name of Tailbot. That was his screen name, Tailbot. Because he was so cocky, but damn it, he was really freaking good. And he cut the best freaking interview promos ever because he would call out his opponents. They'd be like, oh, like, what do you think of so-and-so? You're facing them in the quarterfinals. He's like, I've never heard of him, so I don't really care. Like, these are the types of answers. And they're like, people were like, yeah! And they created a lot of buzz. He he was the heel of that, of that era, but there was nobody to challenge him. There was like nobody to challenge him. And that was really unfortunate because everybody was kind of boring. I'll, I'll be completely, completely honest with you. They were freaking boring as hell. So when I had to listen to their interviews and then give my opinions on what they said, I was like, yeah, he gave the same cookie cutter, you know, hockey player interview post game. Yeah. It's a, you know, put in a good 60 minutes and, um, you had to put the puck in the back of the net and, uh, just keep your legs moving. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, whoever has the most goals wins. Yeah. Like that's stupid, but that's kind of where it went. Get away from that. Focus on the players like tailbot, focus on the players like Matt folks and all these people who are just cutting badass promos and making it interesting. That's the evolution of it. Uh, we got one more. We got one more. And I love it. 
We got uh, Pankaj. Hey, Flake. Congrats on hitting 100 episodes. So my question for you is, if Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, and R2-D2 were in Flesh and Blood, what classes would those characters be? Okay. Uh, you can see the theme of what people know I love and cherish, which is Star Wars, wrestling, things like that. Uh, Darth Vader, Luke Skywalker, and R2-D2, what classes would they be? It's um, Darth Vader is easily Runeblade. 100% Runeblade. Uh, no question about it. Absolutely 100% Runeblade. Uh, force choking you with arcane damage. Uh, swinging with Rosetta, a.k.a. the lightsaber. Has tall attacks, wide attacks. Crazy, crazy nonsense. I think that he would absolutely be a shadow Runeblade. Without a doubt. Without a doubt, he's a Shadow Runeblade, and he'd probably be stronger than anyone else. In fact, in fact, I would I would say Darth Vader is Vincent. Darth Vader is Vincent. I think that's a fair comparison. You know, uh, fun fact about Darth Vader, because Bacta, which is a uh, Bacta, is a medical fluid that is basically like a heal all. It's it's like the polysporin of the Star Wars universe. It's basically if you've seen Empire Strikes Back, where Luke is in that tank, he's in a back to tank. It's made to basically heal him entirely. It's this like miracle fluid that heals everything. Darth Vader foregoes full healing of himself, and he is in his suit, which is incredibly uncomfortable and painful because it fuels his rage and it fuels his anger and it keeps him better in tune with the dark side, which then makes him more powerful. So he chooses a world of discomfort rather than healing and reconstructing himself in a more suitable way because that pain fuels his anger. In which case, I feel like if you're banishing a card at the beginning of your turn and taking damage on your own with your own weapons and stuff like that, I feel like that is a Darth Vader thing to do. Luke Skywalker, however, is to me a warrior is a light warrior and i'm not saying bolton uh specifically but i think uh, he's a light warrior he's going to rely a lot on his weapon but also with charging his soul improving himself and having these explosive kinds of, of stuff but also being very defensive which is what he wants to do darth vader uh, sorry uh, luke skywalker never got more powerful uh well, I, that's not right to say. I say that in the in the trilogy, he was at his most dangerous when he was basically slaughtering all of Jabba's palace. Uh, that's when he was at his most. Like he like force chokes. He uses Jedi mind tricks. Um, he does a lot of nasty stuff. He kills a lot of people too. <laughs> so I think that that to him is before he went light. But he also had the restraint. When he's on the second Death Star confronting Vader in front of Palpatine and he has the kill blow and he says, no, we're not going to do it. You failed. And I feel like that to me is Luke going off on his combo turn, gaining all his life back off of like a triple Lumina Ascension and winning the game. R2-D2 though, R2-D2 is a sneaky bastard. And I think that R2-D2 is a wizard. And I know that sounds weird because you're like, well, wouldn't Palpatine be a wizard? Whatever. He's a wizard because he is 
his own thing. He does things by his own rules. He is what fully encapsulates what a rebel is. Plays on your turn, plays on my turn, um, does a lot of random stuff within the margins, uh, messes around with the stack, does all that kind of nonsense. That, to me, I think, is what R2-D2 would be. R2-D2 is a wizard. I think I've, I've concluded. Is that good for you, Ethnic Smoke? Is that good for you, everybody? I think we're right there. All right, friends, um, that does it for episode number 100. And I do want to give a lot of thanks to a lot of people. And I'm, I can't say everybody because in general, I'm, I'm going to miss a lot. Because if I'm talking about 100 episodes, I started this and I was, uh, I was given advice I should, that I should pack it in by like episode eight or nine. I was told that it's probably not going to be a success and I should probably just give it up. And I didn't because I don't, didn't care. <laughs> I just said, I'm screwed. I enjoy what I do. Uh, but there's a lot of people I want to thank. And one of the, the, one of the first people I do want to thank is Mark Gibson of 983 Media. Because Mark and I have worked together for so long. So long. And he's somebody whose work I really appreciate. And even though I do not work under the 983 Media umbrella anymore, I cannot deny how my success was for a long time very much tethered to 983 and Mark specifically. And we worked together for many years to produce a lot of cool content for Gwent, for Flesh and Blood, for a lot of things. Um, and I thank him for his efforts, for his trust and his, uh, his faith that I was somebody that he wanted to uh, support and wanted to be involved with. And I thank him immensely for that. Uh, obviously, I want to thank LSS for just giving me the opportunity to do this show. Uh, I don't want to say, oh, thanks for creating the game and blah, blah, blah. You know that. They already know that. But the one thing that people don't know about LSS is that they communicate with me a lot and they tell me that they like what I do. and But they also tell me when they don't like what I do. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to not do those things. It means that they're honest and they're upfront. I've had several conversations that were very uncomfortable very um very pivotal with lss about about this show about things that my opinions and this and that and uh but that is like one percent of our relationship the 99 percent is harmonious it's it's great and it's and it's awesome because we collaborate and we both love the same thing which is bringing to you good flesh and blood stuff um but yeah there's there's been there's been a lot of hiccups a lot of trials and tribulations and trip-ups throughout that time but uh earlier on in the show i mentioned that brian gottlieb is somebody who i'm i respect immensely and part of that is because brian is often the first to basically message me or or call me or do something and say we need to talk about something and i respect that a lot and i respect him a lot because it's not always rainbows and butterflies, but when when there are certain things, he's, he never shies from the truth. James is the same way. Um, if James wants to tell me something, he will tell me the truth, whether I like it or not. And that is important. And that is a relationship that he and I have forged and uh, improved upon for so long. Same thing with Brian. The casting crew that I've worked with for so many time for so many years. I love you guys dearly. Um, to everybody else, man, like 
I, I can't stress enough how important people like Tommy Fresh are in my life, like Logan Peterson, Jordan Kennedy, uh, Derek Oswald, Tannen Grace. There's DM Armada. Oh my God. I lo- like, I can't stress enough how important these people are. Um, the boys from three floating realm games, kayfabe cards, min max, um, max ferocity. I can't, I cannot stress enough. I cannot stress enough how important these people are. These aren't just colleagues. They aren't just acquaintances. These are my, my true and genuine friends. Tarek Patel. I, Dave Rude. Like there's a lot of names that I want to say that are, are kind of escaping me now. Doa, obviously. I said Doa, Pankaj. Oh, man. All right. I, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to lose out on it. Uh, Greg, as obviously I've said these names, uh, Mara. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a little emotional because, like, I, I did these aspects of, of this life that people don't get. Like, I live in Toronto. I don't have many friends here. I have some friends here, but they all have lives. They all do their own thing. I'm cooped up in my apartment for m- most of the week. And I don't get to see my friends until I'm at an event. And that's what makes it so special. I love you guys. I, I truly do. You, the listener, the viewer, you who supports me, it is. it has been a privilege. It has been uh, my privilege to be able to bring this kind of stuff to you because I love what I do. And the fact that you love what I do, or at least like it in passing, is significant for me because a long, a lot along the way, in the earliest stages of my broadcasting career, a lot of people don't know this, but when I applied for university way back when, I applied for broadcast journalism, which I suppose is kind of what I'm doing to a degree right now. And I got rejected. I got rejected. They're like, nope, we don't want you. So I did it anyways. And here I am. And on the way, I have a political science degree that I earned out of spite. And the reason I got that was because when I was bartending, I had, I had uh, left school. I dropped out of school. I went to bartend. And after being offered promotions to manager at the bar and that I kept declining, my manager eventually said <laughs> that, let's be real. This is, you're not going back to school. This is where you're at. And I don't know how many more times that we're going to give you this opportunity. And I said, oh, really? So <laughs> the, the next day, I started my application process to go back to school. And then I graduated, and I did not tell them that I was back in school. I just went and did it, and then I quit with my degree. <laughs> I said it was just totally fueled by spite. But the entire time, the earliest, the earliest phases was a lot of people telling me that I couldn't do it or I shouldn't do it, and I did it. And it's because of you, you, yes, you, for just clicking on this or giving me a chance. And that's important. And I will never, ever forget that. And we're not done. This is 100 episodes. Uh, we're, we're doing 1,000. Screw it. That's <laughs> 20 years. I don't know how many we're going to do. But this has been quite a journey. I love you dearly. I, I, I cannot stress that enough. And uh, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. And I truly mean it when I say that you're not losing if you're learning. Because I have lost a lot. And I have learned a lot. And I come away thinking that life is good, life is, life is worth living, and you are loved. 
that's where I'm going to end this. See you next week. Well, I work, oh,